Welcome to the Pathway Church Podcast, where you'll find fresh messages uploaded weekly. Pathway Church is a Bible-based church located in Peterborough, Ontario, and we're on a mission to reach people far from God and see them become devoted followers of Jesus. We hope that what you hear today will help you to take one step closer to Jesus. Thanks so much for joining us, and if you like what you hear, don't forget to subscribe. Good morning. It's great to see you all here today. Uh, my name is Nathan, and I serve as uh, the lead pastor here at Pathway Church, and so it's my privilege today to, to share with you from the scriptures. If you haven't been with us, we are actually in week four of a, well, we'll say nine or ten week message series, and what we're doing is we're, we're walking kind of verse by verse through a New Testament letter called First Thessalonians. It doesn't sound very interesting, but as some of you have been discovering over the past three weeks, there's a lot of great stuff uh, to be found in this particular letter. Um, I won't give you too much of the history and background, but just a quick synopsis. Uh, we have uh, Paul and his ministry partner, Silas, and Timothy is like an apprentice to Paul. Paul calls him his son in the Lord. And so Timothy is traveling with Paul and Silas, and they, they end up in the port city of Thessalonica. And there they tell people uh, in, the, in Thessalonica about Jesus, this, this man who was a Jew, who was the son of God, who who died for the sins of the world, who was resurrected, and that all those who trust in him can be saved and have new life, forgiveness of sins. And the people in Thessalonica, at least a group of people, believed the message, and they received Paul and Silas's words as if they were coming from God himself. And, and that word and the message that they heard began to transform them from the inside out, and, and things were happening, and this was fantastic. However, Paul and Silas are literally run out of town by some folks that were against them. And we learned last week that we should expect opposition you know, to our faith, that if God is trying to do something great in us, there will be opposition to it. And so they actually are run out of town. Uh, we're going to hear today in the third chapter how uh, because they were run out of town and basically left their new children in the Lord, these, these, these new believers who are just young in their faith, they've been left behind, uh, that Paul and Silas are very concerned about them. And so they actually sent Timothy back to spend time with them, to coach and mentor them and help them to become established. And then now we have this letter because they would later write to the Thessalonians. And the first three chapters of this letter are all about encouragement. I mean, Paul and Silas are saying, listen, we see God's at work in you, and we want that work to continue. That what God started in you, we want to see it completed. And uh, so we learned uh, last week, I want to just kind of recap a couple of things from last Sunday. I got this little image of a seed, a uh, little apple seed growing to an apple tree, and what we talked about last Sunday was how faith is actually a process. You don't just say a prayer. You don't just say, I believe in Jesus, and you're a fully developed tree bearing fruit. It's actually just, it's actually, it takes a lot of time and effort and a process that happens when you and I receive the message, when we open this book and we hear the truths of Scripture, when we hear about God's love for us and His forgiveness and salvation, that it actually comes to us like a seed. And when it's received into the appropriate soil, which is, by the way, a humble heart, and when we receive that word with humility, it begins to sprout, and then eventually, if given enough time and nourishment, it'll actually grow to a flowering tree, and then ultimately to a tree that bears fruit, right? And so we're thinking about this as a, as a process. So let me put it to you this way. If you receive the love of God, and that love of God comes to you today and enters into your heart like a seed, when that seed is nourished and grows to maturity, what do you think it will produce? fruit, but what kind? It will produce love because every seed bears fruit after its own kind, right? When you receive the forgiveness, God, you forgave me in spite of all the terrible things I've done. 
in spite of my motives, in spite of the things that nobody sees, you've forgiven me and washed me clean and you receive that seed of forgiveness. Over time, that will, that, will, that will grow to maturity and it will produce a forgiving heart. When we receive, hey, you did for me what I could not do for myself. You saved me. It produces eternal life. And so the, the, the gospel message and the Christian faith is actually something that we grow in and develop. That's why we show up at church every Sunday. Because we want to take steps to grow and develop our faith towards maturity. We want to be fruitful like that tree over on the right. Now, something I didn't tell you last week is this, that there's always two parts to this equation. There's God's part and there's our part. Now, you understand a farmer can go out into his field and farmers work hard. Somebody say amen. Amen. All right. Farmers work hard. Thankfully for them, we get to eat the produce. All right. So the farmer goes out and he turns over the soil and he fertilizes the soil, and at the right time, he plants the seed, and then when the harvest comes in, at the right time, he harvests the crop and all of that stuff and sends it off to market, and we get the the benefit of that. But here's what the farmer can't do. The farmer cannot create the seed. See, the farmer does all that work, but without seed, it's a waste of time. It's It's just work. And even if he has the seed, and if he does all the work to prepare the soil and puts it in, it's God that causes the growth. Right, like you, you can't make a seed do what a seed does. A seed does it by nature. It's a miracle, something that God does. Right, it's, we call it nature, but it's 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 the work of God. And so, so God gives us the message. He gives us forgiveness and love and hope and salvation and all of that, and we receive it. But then it's still God who causes the growth within us that changes us. But we have a part to play, and that's what we're learning. Last week we learned, like, if we want to grow towards maturity, what do we have to do? But be humble and stay humble. Right? We have to expect opposition. We've got to know, if you plant a garden, something's coming to eat your produce. Something's going to try to take out your garden. So you're protecting it. You're watering it. You're nurturing it. And lastly, we said last week that we really have to have an eye to eternal things. Because um, if we don't, we're going to be focused on all the wrong things. So we, we talked about that last Sunday. So today what I want to do is something a little different than I've been doing for the past three Sundays. I want to share with you another illustration of maturing and growing in our faith different than this one. This was helpful. Was this helpful for anybody last week? Okay. I want to show you a different illustration today because what this did was told us that there's a process that we go through as our faith grows, as love grows, as forgiveness grows, as hope grows, all of that. Uh, But we didn't really say how you can determine where you're at in the process, how you can determine where others are at in the process, because that actually matters. And so today I want to try the best that I can to share with you an illustration that I hope will help you to understand how you can gauge your own spiritual development and growth and the the spiritual development and growth of those around you. The illustration that I want to share with you is actually the human uh, development and life cycle. I think we've got an image there of, you know, three stages of human development. We can throw those up, okay? Now, I know you could break it into more, okay? Bear with me. This is a super simplistic way of thinking about our physical maturation, right? So we're born into this world. The first stage of life is infancy, right? And during infancy, we're learning many things. We're very dependent on our parents and, and those to care for us, et cetera, et cetera. And then we go through the stage of adolescence, which is between infancy and adulthood. And adolescence is this time when we're growing into and maturing into an adult. And so I'm not going to put ages and windows on it, but you, you all get it. So we've got these three processes. And of course, adulthood is this season of physical maturity where you can reproduce. Okay, so we've got these three simple stages. And you may be thinking, okay, well, that's all great, but like... Is this in the Bible? Yes, it is. Uh, what I'm going to share with you today could actually be four messages. 
There's so much content, I don't know how I'm going to get through it all. So I'm going to probably race through. You're going to get, I'm going to touch a bunch of things, but I won't dive into them too deep. I wish I had more time. Maybe we'll do a series on this in the future. Um, what I'm going to share with you is actually something that I got from 1 John chapter 2. And if you go to John's, one of John's letters to the early church in chapter 2, he actually writes to three different stages of believers. He says, I write to you little children. And he's talking not about little kids, like physical kids. He's talking about little spiritual children. And did you know you can be 50 years old and be a little spiritual children inside, spiritually? And he says, I write to you young men because you're strong and you've overcome the evil one. And then he says, I write to you fathers. And he's talking about people who are spiritually mature. And he says, I've written to you, and here's all he says about them, because you know the Father. Like you have a deep understanding of who God is. Wow. And so he gives us these three stages. And so I'm not making this stuff up. Other thing you have to understand is that everything that we see physically is actually a mirror image of something spiritual. Did you know that? When God uh, came to Moses and he said, here's, here's the blueprints for this, this thing called the, the tabernacle. This is going to be this building where the people will come and worship God. And he says that it's actually a blueprint, a physical image of what it's actually like in heaven. So it's like a reproduction of God's real home. And in the book of Genesis, when the first man and the first woman were created, guess what it says? It says that they were created in the image of God, in his very likeness. They were created male and female. So when we look at our bodies, when we look at the world around us, we can learn a whole bunch of stuff about spiritual realities, eternal realities. That's why Jesus could point at a seed and be like, okay, let's look at how this seed develops and let me tell you how your faith develops. Because they're connected. Everything we see in the physical world is a reflection of something that first came out of the spiritual world. In fact, if you wanted to make an argument, the spiritual world is more real and more significant than, than, what we, than what we see and feel. Some of you are like, Matrix, this is getting really weird, but that's the truth, that's the way it is, okay? So, uh, I want to quickly just read a passage that Paul wrote to the Corinthians, and if you're wondering why we're not in Thessalonians yet, um, what I'm going to do today is I want to share this illustration. I'm going to spend most of my time just going through this, this, this illustration. I'm going to break it out, and I hope it's going to help you. And then at the very end, we're going to take five minutes and we're going to read the full third chapter of Thessalonians, and we're going to read it through this lens that I'm going to give you. Okay, so that's, that's how we're going to do this thing today. But first I want to go to uh, 2 Corinthians 4, verse 16, because I want you to see this uh, about our physical and our spiritual development, how they're connected. Notice what it says. Uh, he writes in 2 Corinthians 4, 16. So we do not lose heart, Paul writes. They were going through a lot of bad stuff, you know. I told you last week, don't be surprised when that happens. Uh, Paul says, though our outer self, everybody say body, that's his body, he's talking about their body, he says, our outer self is wasting away. You ever feel like your body is wasting away? Don't answer. Um, He says, even though our body is wasting away, our inner self, everybody say spirit, our inner self is being renewed day by day. So there's this interesting thing going on. Paul's like, "We're, we're getting beat, I've been shipwrecked, I've been bit, I've been stoned, a bit by snake. Uh, he'd gone through all of this terrible stuff. His body was just must have been a mess, Paul's. He had stripes on his back. He had been flogged. He had been in prison. Uh, he's like, my body is like almost done. But let me tell you, even though my body's on the decline, my spirit continues to grow and is nourished and flourishes day by day. And this is an important distinction because we think of our physical development. We start as an infant and we're kind of, it's always up and to the right until... <laughs> Yeah, I'm getting a warning here. You know, people, people always said, you know, 40 is like over the hill, but I'm 42 now, and I'm like, no, there's no way. It's got to be 50, um, although my knees would tend to disagree with that. Um, 
But we understand that in our physical development, there's kind of a peak, right? So we peak at some point, and then our bodies decline. Now, that doesn't mean our, our minds and what we know, those things can continue to grow, but our physical bodies decline, and eventually, no matter how healthy you are and how much broccoli you eat, you know, you might delay the inevitable, but eventually, we're all, our bodies fail us. But this is why I wanted to show you this, is because Paul understood something. He understood that even though our bodies will accelerate and then eventually decline, that our bodies will break down and let us down, that our spirits don't work in the exact same way. Our spiritual growth and development works like this. Show me the next image, right? We can continue to grow into our 80s, into our 90s. We die, and guess what? Our spirits live on. And the things that we've done in this life and the growth that we've had spiritually, our faith in God, it doesn't end when our physical bodies die. It continues into eternity. The love that we develop for God and for one another, the character that we develop, those things stay with us because they're linked to our spirit and it continues to grow for eternity. So why is this important? It's important because it's worth investing in. When we invest in physical things, when we eat healthy and exercise and we save our money and we do all that stuff, that's fantastic. Please do that. But you need to understand that it's an investment that only has limited returns. Eventually, no matter how much you do, your body will fail you. But when you grow your character, when you grow in love, when you grow in the knowledge of God, it continues with you into eternity. So it's worth investing in. And then you have to stop and say, how much am I investing in that? (laughs) Everyone puts their heads down. Oh... I should do more. He continues. Let me just quickly give you the rest. He says in verse 17, For this light momentary affliction is preparing us for an eternal weight of glory beyond all comparison. He's like, The suffering that I'm experiencing in my body is nothing compared to the glory that I'll receive spiritually because of the growth through it. Uh, As we look not to the things that are seen, but the things that are unseen, for the things that are seen are transient, which means temporary, but the things that are unseen are eternal. In other words, Paul's like, We know... That the stuff that you don't see, the stuff we do for God, the development of our character and our faith, that that will reap eternal rewards. And nobody sees it, but God does, and that's what matters. All this other stuff, it's like, blah, whatever. So I wanted you to see that, because what I want to talk to you today about our spiritual growth and development, it matters. And I want you to invest in it. One last thing before I, I kind of show you my grid that I wanted to share with you today. Uh, the last thing is this, that what you need to understand is that while physical development can be seen phys- with your eyes, right? So we could play a fun game after church and we could, you know, have coffee and walk around and everyone could guess each other's age. <laughs> I'm not going to ask you to do that. In fact, I advise against it. Maybe you could do it in your small groups this week. That might be fun. See if you could get it closest. Um, but we can guess people's age. Like you can tell somebody's 50 and not 15. Like we can all get, you know, we, you know, so you can look at somebody's physical body, their development, their age and stuff, and you can kind of, you can get in the right ballpark. Um, unfortunately, it doesn't quite work that way with spiritual maturity. You have to understand that spiritual maturity is not determined by your physical age. You can be 70 years old and have a brand new faith in God. And even though your body is old and, and is weak inside your spirit, you're like a little baby, fresh joints hungry for God, just woo, goo goo gaga, just, just incredible, full of bundle of life inside. It's like there's this new life. You're, you're a baby in Christ. And there can be a 15-year-old girl who's 
become mature in the faith, who's like a mother to her friends and who, who knows the heart of God and loves and invests in people. And just so you can't tell necessarily by looking at somebody's physical body where they're at with their spiritual maturity. Does that make sense? You can have a 50 year old man who owns a business and is successful in every right and is a spiritual teenager just causing trouble everywhere. Okay? We'll get there. So, so you understand that you, you, can't, you can't look out the outside. And spiritual maturity, by the way, you can't determine it either by knowledge. See, sometimes we're, we're tempted to think that if somebody knows a lot, they're spiritually mature. Well, that's, that's not right either. I've, I've met 10-year-olds who are better at math than me. They can do circles around me with, with geometry and algebra and all that stuff, but that doesn't mean they should be leading this church, right? <laughs> it doesn't mean they should be running their own household. Like, there is, there, maturity is not just knowledge. And so if somebody just knows the Bible a lot, that doesn't necessarily make them mature. It means they have a lot of knowledge. You know, sometimes we mistake maturity for um, giftedness. That's a really tricky one. Because you see somebody who can speak eloquently and convince people and move, you know, all that stuff. And you go, like, wow, that person's so spiritually mature. No, they're just really gifted at communication. Or, oh, that person is so spiritually mature. When they sing, I get goosebumps. It's like, no, they're just, they're gifted. They have a gift. And don't confuse somebody's gift with spiritual maturity. So, so then you're like, okay, great. You're not helping us here. How do I know? How do I know if I'm spiritually mature? How do I know if I'm a little baby in the faith or if I'm this mature you know, parent in the faith or where I'm at in between? That's what I want to show you. And how I want to show you is we're literally going to look at um, the three phases of physical development. You have infancy, adolescence, and adulthood. And as we look at it, we're just going to draw, here's characteristics of babies and teenagers, essentially adolescents and adults. And we're going to look at these characters across the spectrum, and then we're just going to compare them to spiritual truths, and I hope it's going to help you. Again, years ago, I kind of discovered this about eight years ago in John, 1 John chapter 2, and ever since, it's been helpful to me because I'm a pastor, and one of my jobs as a pastor is to help you move forward in your faith in whatever way I can. The problem is, is that in order for me to help you move along in your faith, I have to somehow determine where you're at. Because the way that you deal with an adult is different than the way you deal with a teenager, is different than the way you deal with a baby, right? The way, what you expect of an adult is different than what you expect of a teenager, is different than what you expect of a baby, correct? And so then, then I have to learn to discern where people are at, and discern where I'm at, and, and then help us all move along. And so I'm, I'm sharing secrets with you today, so that you can discern where you're at and where people are at so that you can help one another along. Okay? You ready? Check the time. I'm not going to have enough time. Okay. Here we go. So we got our three stages of, of human development. Let's just look at them. In relation to other people, infants, babies, toddlers, young children are extremely dependent. Would you agree? And, and you know this, that every single one of us, you see all these fine, well-dressed, respectable people in here, every single one of us came into the world about yay big, naked, most of us with no hair. We all came in the same way. And unless someone came along and cared for us, fed us, cleaned us, taught us, protected us, we wouldn't be here today, correct? All right? Infants are completely dependent on others to care for them and nurture them along in their growth. Now, we understand that as your infants grow from, you know, they take their first steps, they learn to speak, they, they say mom, they, they say dad, they, they learn to put food in their own mouth, they make their own bowl of cereal. So as they grow, their dependency on you decreases. That's part of the process. Infants. Next, we have adolescents. And in relation to others, this is the key for parents, is that during the adolescent years, your kids are transitioning from complete dependence on you from 
And as they grow, they become less dependent on you and more independent. And that's the right thing. You don't want your 30-year-old completely dependent on you. Mom, can you wash my underwear? Mom, I don't know how to put money in the bank. Mom, you know, like that's not what you want. You want them to grow independent, to be able to, at some point when they leave your home and they enter into the world, be like, hey, I can care for myself, I can protect myself, I can do my own banking, I can cook, I can clean, I can relate to others, I can sign up for a course. Independence. That is the process of adolescence. Then, of course, we have adulthood. And I put this word interdependent. And this is interesting because you may think, what are you you talking about? Well, (laughs) it's funny that when people move into adulthood, they will either get married or they will find, you know, close friends, relationships, business partners, but they enter into relationships of interdependence, right? So it's like, I know that I'm going to willingly enter a relationship with you where we are going to help each other. That's a sign of physical maturity, isn't it? In fact, God has made it such that it actually takes two people to produce another person. Like you, you know, unless you can do science stuff, but like, let's just, in general, two people, there's an interdependence that's needed even to propagate the human species. So, so this, is, this is sort of the track. So let's talk about this spiritually. When someone comes to faith and, and they, don't, they don't know the Bible, they don't know truth from error, uh, they don't know how to defend their faith, they just know God loves them and they're forgiven and they're like, this is amazing, God's doing something to me. You know what they need? spiritual parents. They need guardians. They need people who are mature to come alongside them. And if that's you today, if you're new to the faith, you need some of the people in this room to come around you and to see where you're at and to invest and love and care for you and and, and put stuff into you for a season so that you can grow. The next phase of spiritual development would be this this phase of adolescence where you grow to independence, okay? Now, this is where you, as as a Christian, learn who you are in Christ. This is when you begin to learn what the Bible says, and you begin to learn some theology. And, and I often hear people who are in the spiritual adolescent stage say stuff like this. I don't need to go to church. I can study the Bible for myself. Fantastic. There's nobody more proud of you than me. But you're, it's short-sighted because there's another phase beyond, right? But people say those kinds of things, right? And it's true because they've, they've discovered, I can do this myself. I can grow. I can... But what they haven't discovered yet is their interdependence on others. See, people who are spiritually mature show up at church not because they need other people, because they know that they can invest in, give, and receive with others. People who are spiritually mature walk into church, and they go, this is my family, this is my community. How can I invest in? How can I receive from? How can I pull this together? That's a spiritually mature person. So in relation to others, we need to be aware of this. Let's look at... um, Actually, before we do that, you know, I was thinking about how um, spiritually mature people also, uh, when they walk into church, they're, they're looking around and they're recognizing those who need parents. I was thinking about this. If you're walking down the street and there was a stroller with a baby sitting in it on the sidewalk, if there were like little kids, they would just walk right by, they'd run into the candy store, wouldn't notice. If there were a group of teenagers, you know, they'd all be Snapchatting and talking on their phones. and be like, oh, baby, cool, Ooh, and they'd just walk off, right, and leave it there. But what does a mature adult do? Sees a baby by itself in a stroller, and it's like, I'm, I'm going to stand right here. Where's mom? Where's, they're actually getting mad, Because, right? hey, who's caring for this baby, right? Who did this? They'll call the, they're not going to leave that baby until that baby's in safe hands, correct? 
So if we want to be a church with people who are spiritually mature, that's the mindset we're going to have. We're going to be like, okay, <laughs> people want to claim they're mature. They should be looking for those who are vulnerable and coming alongside. Is this making sense? Is this helping anybody? I don't know. This is the way I think about it. Um, let's go relation to self, okay? Relation to others. Let's talk about relation to self, okay? We know this about babies and infants. Selfish, right? Feed me. Wah! Change me. Wah! Snuggle me. Wah! I'm bored. Wah! Like, it's, it's what they do. <laughs> Adults do it too. We just kind of do it in, in other ways. Um, <laughs> we're way more sophisticated uh, about, about being selfish, but... You know, babies is just out there, man. It's just like, you give me what I need. And, you know, when someone comes to faith, I wouldn't say that they're, they're necessarily a selfish person, but there is like, there's just this hunger. It's like, I need someone to tell me. I need someone to direct me. I need someone to give me advice. I need someone to pray for me. And that's right, and it's good, and it's the way it ought to be. And we need to surround those people. But if that's you, and we want you to grow to spiritual adolescence, and of course, when I think about, when I think about adolescence in my teen years, I think about self-centeredness. And, I, you know, as a teenager, I learned to serve others and I learned to, like, keep my emotions in control and all that stuff that you're learning as you grow up. But I viewed the world through the lens of, like, how is everyone looking at me? How do I fit? Who, who am I? What's my identity? How do I fit in with these people and those people and how do people view me? It was all about me. And, of course, when you grow to maturity and adulthood, the relation to self is self-sacrificing. And I was thinking about this. I was preparing my message this week, how when I was a teenager, um, everyone had, you know, cool shoes. And I asked my parents for these Nike shoes that were, I don't know, like 150 bucks back in the, I'm not even going to say when, it was a long time ago, and, uh, and it was expensive, you know. And I asked my parents, and, and they made it happen. They got me these nice Nike shoes, and I'm like walking around school, I'm like, yeah, people mentioned my shoes, and I'm like, yeah, I'm feeling good about myself because I had Nike shoes. It wasn't until about a decade later that I stopped and realized my dad's wearing Walmart shoes, standing on a cement floor for 12 hours a day so I could have these. Like, I it totally didn't clue in until I was an adult, and I stopped. And I just have this sense of appreciation, right? And I don't think he thought anything of it. Maybe he did. Maybe he was like, oh, dirty kid, I needed that. No, I don't think so. I think he's literally like, I want my son to have what he needs and to have what he needs to fit in and wanted me to have that. And now as a dad, I experience that for myself. I go, man, I'm, I'm wearing crappy stuff so my kids can have the best and the opportunities that I didn't have, Right? That's a self-sacrificing attitude, and that's exactly, and you know, it's the same thing with church, man. I grew up in church. I was blessed. Some of you grew up in church. Some of you didn't, but I grew up in a church like this where there were, there were old ladies that invested in me in Sunday school that did the flannel graph. There were, there were people that did Bible studies with us. They had, you know, all the different programs, and, and it didn't dawn on me until I was a pastor, believe it or not, until I was pastoring a church that it dawned on me all of the people that invested in my life growing up. Like it just hit me like a wave one day. I'm sitting there, I was like, there were people, and I don't even know their names, who gave tens of thousands of dollars to the church so they could run programs so that I could have a faith today. And it just hit me. It's like, oh my gosh. Right? And it's, you just don't understand that until you're there. And so I'm looking at this, and I'm realizing that, that mature, people who are mature spiritually pour out and invest for the benefit of others. This is what they do. Right, And you can try doing this, but here's the thing about maturity. You, when you're three years old and you decide you're going to be an adult today, you can put your mom's high heels on. I did that. Um, you, can, you can put your dad's dress coat on and his briefcase, and you can run around the house being like, I'm an adult. You're not. It takes time. It's a process. It develops time and experience, time and experience. 
but we continue to move forward in our spiritual growth and maturity. So I'm, I'm on point two. I've got six more or something, so uh, we'll, we'll go quick. Here we go. In times of difficulty, let's talk about difficulty. What happens in seasons of difficulty? This is where you're going to determine your own spiritual maturity and the maturity of others. Infants, they panic. Something goes wrong. Mom's missing. There's no food. Something bad happens. It's just absolute pandelirium, right? Panic. And, and when someone's new in the faith and things aren't going the way they thought and, you know, God was with me and I felt his presence and all of a sudden I don't, like, oh, is my faith gone? What's going on? They're just running around panicking and they need someone who is mature to come alongside them and to wrap their arms around them and say, God hasn't gone anywhere and to encourage them and comfort them, right? So there's panic. It, during the adolescence years, um, I find, again, having two teenagers in my house, next year we'll have our third, um, I'm learning a lot about adolescence. It's a lot of fun. And uh, I, I find uh, this fight or flight thing really kicks in during the adolescent years where it's either like, oh yeah, let's go, or it's dismissive and like, I'm not even going to deal with that. It's too much trouble and walk away. Um, and so again, when we're talking about spiritual growth, you see this in people. Uh, you might attend a church for a while, be in a group, be around people. Things get difficult. Relationships, you know, get, get tense. And it's either, ah, you know, fist fight, claws come out, or it's like, I'm leaving the group and never participating again. It's just like fight or flight. Of course, uh, spiritually mature people, uh, this is something that, that Paul said often, stand firm. They stand firm. People who are mature in their faith, who have developed deep roots in their faith, are literally like oak trees, just standing there. And winter comes, and the leaves fall off, and the snow begins to pile up around them, and all the little trees in the forest are like, oh my gosh, we're going to die, we're going to die, you know. This winter's never going to end. And they're trying to produce leaves in the middle of January, and the big tree's just like, relax. I've seen this 80 times. Spring is coming. Use this opportunity to let your roots go deeper. Put another ring on your, <laughs> on your uh, trunk. <laughs> <You know? laughs> Some of us got a few too many rings on our trunk. You know what I'm saying? You know? So it's just like, just stand in there. Just stand in there and be like, spring is coming. God is faithful. God is faithful, and all the little trees are looking up. Okay, let's just do what he's doing, you know? That's what spiritually mature people do. People are freaking out. It's just like, it's all cool. God's got this. And you see it. And sometimes you don't know if you're there yet or not until trouble comes, right? So, quickly, um, strength. Uh, this should be obvious. When it comes to strength, uh, infants are weak. They're pretty powerless to do much. And as they grow, their strength grows, of course. Uh, adolescence, they really, it's about developing strength. Uh, I remember when I was about 18, 19, I started training. I was lifting weights and dumbbells and doing all the push-ups and stuff. And I remember the day I beat my dad in an arm wrestle for the first time. I still remember it like it was yesterday. It was just like, ah. And then I just outlasted him, you know, I was younger. Uh, I just outlasted him, finally put him down, and that was like, that was it. Like, I was a man, you know. I beat my dad in an arm wrestle. Um, and, you know, being, being young was all about strength and developing strength. And that's right, we should get strong. But um, spiritual maturity is about strength for others. And I never realized how strong my parents were until I saw them go through, through some things. In fact, one time I worked at a factory with my dad. And um, my dad is a very passive man. Doesn't, doesn't get riled easily. And uh, there was this guy that we worked with. My brother and I worked at the same factory with my dad. And there was this guy that was a jerk. And he would get right in my dad's face, call him names, swear at him, talk down to him. And my dad was higher in seniority. And we would say, Dad, why do you let this guy talk to you? He's like... He doesn't matter. It doesn't matter. It's fine. Be like, I'd punch him. And he's like, no, we're not going to do that, you know. And then so one day, this same guy is arguing with my older brother. 
grabs him and he's like, this is why they have harassment in the workplace policies, right? Because of people like us. And this guy grabs my brother, he's choking him, and my dad sees this happening. And my dad, who I thought I was stronger than, picked him up and threw him over a table. Wow. Strength for others. I call that dad strength. You've heard of mom strength, right? Mother lifts car off child. <laughs> you know, it's like, how did you do that? It's, it's mom strength, right? And spiritually mature people aren't running around fighting their own battles. They're fighting for the sake of others, right? They're not looking for a fight. They're not trying to prove how strong they are, how much they know, how gifted they are. That's just not the way, that's not the way they think. Uh, joy, joy through the various stages comes in different ways. Um, during infancy, joy comes from receiving. Oh, I went to church today and I got something so amazing. It's just so blessed. And this person helped me and they prayed for me. It's just amazing. And that's great. It's like a little kid, like somebody gave me a sucker. Ah, they're just so thrilled that they've received something, right? Receive, receive, receive. Of course, as we move into the adolescent stage, the real joy comes out of achieving. Look what I was able to accomplish. Look what I did. I got this mark. Uh, you know, I succeeded at sports. Our team won. It's just like it's all about achieving, achieving, achieving. And then, of course, in adulthood, it's about what I can give. And our joy comes out of what we can give to our kids and our community, right? This is, this is the process of, of maturity. This is why, again, see, I didn't understand this when I started pastoring, that I didn't understand spiritual adolescence. And that's the thing I didn't really get. Because um, when people would come and they, and they, they want a title, why? It's because, because they're trying to achieve something. They're trying to achieve some recognition. Oh, look what, I'm a deacon, I'm an elder, I'm this, I, give me a name, I'm a pastor, I'm a group leader, I'm a whatever, I want to be a worship leader. But they want to achieve something, and I thought, well, that's just the wrong motive, but actually that's normal development, right? But we can grow past that, where we care more about what we give than what title we get or what comes back our way. Uh, lastly, I won't, I won't talk much about this for the sake of time, uh, relational needs. What we need from other people actually changes. The dynamic changes as we grow through physical maturity and through spiritual maturity. As a baby, what do we need? Guardians, parents, grandparents, teachers, people to invest, care for us, protect us. Uh, when we grow through to adolescence, this is one of the hardest transitions for parents to make, including myself, is you become a coach. You've told them all the right things, and now they have to do it, and you have to come alongside and be like, so how did that go? <laughs> And you need other people to come alongside to go, hey, how's that going? And encourage and instruct like a coach. Okay, that's what we need primarily. And then in adulthood, <laughs> you don't need, as a, an adult, you don't need some other adult coming in and telling you how to run your life. You need a friend. You need companionship. You need someone to do life with, right? And so in the same way as we progress through to spiritual maturity, what we need from the people around us actually changes as well. But we, we don't have time to get into that. So I don't know if any of that helped you. Uh, that's a grid that I found extremely helpful as I process where I'm at with my spiritual maturity. And I wouldn't want to come across like I've got it all figured out or that I've achieved some, like I'm there. I'm still growing just like you are. Um, but as we go through now, uh, very quickly, we're going to read through 1 Thessalonians chapter 3. And the reason why I approached this message this way is for this reason. In the third chapter, Paul is like talking relationally about their relationship with the Thessalonians. And this these ideas that I'm talking about are all represented in there. And so as we go through, I'm going to point them out as we go. You ready? 1 Thessalonians chapter 3, verse 1. Therefore, Paul says, when we could bear it no longer, we were willing to be left behind in Athens alone. What could they bear no longer? They were worried. They were worried like a parent worries when you leave your children at home for the first time. I remember the first time my wife and I went out for a date and we left like our 11-year-old son in charge. <laughs> 
there's reason for worry. And we'd call like every 30 minutes. Hey, everybody's still alive? Hey. So Paul's like, hey, uh, we were so concerned that we left you in your spiritual infancy. You weren't yet developed that we were so worried that we were willing to sacrifice having Timothy with us to send him. So it cost them something, but they were willing to pay it for the benefit of their spiritual children. In fact, in chapter 2, Paul says, we were like your mother, we were like your father. This is, all this language is interconnected, okay? Here he says, so we sent Timothy, our brother and God's co-worker in the gospel of Christ, to do what? To establish and exhort you in your faith. We sent him to help you develop from these little children, to teach you to walk, to teach you to stand on your own two feet, to teach you to be resilient. And so we sent him to strengthen you. Verse 3, that no one be moved by these afflictions. For you yourselves know that we are destined for this. Verse 4, for when we were with you, we kept telling you beforehand that we were to suffer affliction just as it has come to pass and just as you know. So before we left you, we told you you'd have difficulty. We told you you'd struggle. We told you people would oppose you. But here's the thing. Just telling somebody something's going to happen doesn't mean you're prepared for it. You've heard the old adage, like, you can train for a boxing match, but until you get hit in the nose for the first time, you don't know if you're ready, you know? Because all your plans fall apart when you get punched in the nose. And and Paul's like, hey, we told you this was coming, but we're going to send Timothy just to make sure, to walk along with you, to demonstrate, to be that oak tree and be like, here's what it looks like. Here's what it looks like to go through this. And so they send Timothy along for that purpose. He continues uh, in verse 5, For this reason, when we could bear it no longer, we sent to learn about your faith for fear. Like Paul the Apostle was afraid he had fear? Yeah. He wasn't afraid of dying. He wasn't afraid of being beaten up. He wasn't afraid of death. He wasn't afraid of being imprisoned. You know what he's afraid of? His spiritual children losing their faith. As a parent, I can understand that. I'm more concerned for my kids who are driving around with their older brother um, than I am for myself for fear that somehow the tempter had tempted you and our labor would be in vain. When When you hold a baby in your hand, what do you see? I see potential. You don't know when you hold that little, that little baby boy, little baby girl, whether they're the next prime minister of Canada, whether they're going to start a charity that changes the world, whether they're going to be the best mom, the best daughter, the best son, the best friend in the world. You just don't know. You're holding this little bundle of possibility. But of course, if it's not nurtured and protected, all of that possibility is gone. And Paul's like, we were so afraid that what God was starting to do in you, what we had invested in you, would not come to completion because of the opposition of the enemy. But now that Timothy has come to us from you, so Timothy had now returned from his trip and brought us the good news of your faith and love and reported that you always remember us kindly and long to see us and we long to see you. For this reason, brothers, in all our distress and affliction. In spite of what we're suffering, we have been comforted about you through your faith. Isn't that true? You know, I can say as a parent, um, even if I'm going through a tough time, if I see my children succeeding and accomplishing and doing well, it brings so much joy. It doesn't matter what's going on. Paul's like, man, we live for you. We love to see your growth and development. So he says this in verse 8, for now we live if you are standing fast in the Lord. You see this beautiful image of spiritual maturity in Paul and Silas, verse 9, for what thanksgiving can we return to God for you, for all the joy that we feel for your sake before God, as we pray most earnestly night and day, that we may see you face to face and supply what is lacking. (laughs) Their biggest desire is to be with them again and invest more. It's amazing. Here's how he finishes the chapter. Now may our God and our Father himself and our Lord Jesus direct our way to you. 
and may the Lord make you to increase. Remember what I said at the beginning. There's God's part and there's our part. Your part and mine is to be humble. Your part and mine is to invest in one another, to grow in love, to, to push forward in the face of adversity, to trust God when things are difficult. That's our job. And his job is to cause the increase, the growth in our faith and development. May the Lord make you increase and abound in love for one another and for all as we do for you so that he may establish your hearts blameless in holiness before our God and Father at the coming of our Lord Jesus with all his saints. Isn't that amazing? So here's what we're going to do. Um, next Sunday, as we continue in the series, it happens to be Valentine's week next week, and we're going to be talking about how growth in spiritual maturity also will equate to growth in holiness, okay? And we're specifically going to be talking about sexuality, so that should be fun, right? Or not. But you can come. It's going to be a great time. We're going to continue because what we're going to discover is as God works in us, he does his part, we do our part. It's a cooperative effort, and God causes the increase in us. So I want you to be encouraged today that wherever you are at in your spiritual growth and development, maybe you have a better idea today, wherever you're at, that the, the ultimate end goal is that we would grow to become more like our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, to love like him, to forgive like him, to give like him, to be like him in our character, in our lifestyle, in our behavior. And that will continue throughout this life and into eternity, and it's worth investing in now. Can we pray? Father, um, as usual, I have no idea if anything I said made sense. (laughs) But Lord, I pray that through the reading of your word and through these illustrations that are connected to our spiritual growth and development, Lord, that you, by your spirit, would direct us and guide us so that we could see with fresh eyes where we are at, where we need to grow, where we can help to encourage and strengthen others to grow. God, we recognize today as we sit in this room that we need to be reminded that you always do your part. We need to be reminded that you are always faithful and we also need to be reminded to do our part and be faithful in the work you've given us. So God, help us, empower us, and continue to work in and through your people. In Jesus' name, amen. Thanks for listening to the Pathway Church Podcast. If you'd like to reach out to us, go to our website, pathwaylife.com. And as always, don't forget to subscribe. See you next week.